There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Get down with you. Now, the prank of the year. And savage it is, too. On closer inspection, a delight becomes a fright for the phone company. I'm really disappointed about the whole thing. Now look at this. Look carefully. T-E-L-E-C-O-M, telecom, and S-U-X, sucks. Oh, yes. Ain't nothing to work out. Ain't nothing to know. Ain't no way you can grow unless you let go. We're nearing the halfway point in our series, and now that we've spent a bit of time laying the groundwork, it's time to focus on the investigation proper. If you haven't listened to our first episode, where I talked through the partially accurate memory that kickstarted this whole journey, or last week's episode, where we dug into what Telecom NZ was doing up until the 1990s, I'd encourage you to check those out first. And so, with the anecdotes and the history lessons out of the way, let's dive into the Christmas card incident more thoroughly. At this stage of the investigation, the scant analogue sources that I'd unearthed thus far, they kept repeating the same broad strokes of the story. As this incident happened just prior to the widespread use of the internet in New Zealand, there was virtually nothing about it online. Thus, it was a real challenge to find any new details. Here's what we knew for sure. 1. The painting was a finalist in the 1993 Telecom Art Awards, specifically the Otago Regional Competition. 2. The artist, Gray Dixon, he denied vandalising his own work. 3. The Telecom Sucks message, along with the Clear logo, they were discovered after the cards had been printed. 4. Telecom investigated the matter, and they were confident that none of their staff had been involved. I felt like I'd uncovered as much as I could from my home base in Auckland. I needed to widen the net and start searching further afield. My three key objectives became find more news reporting about the incident, find Gray Dixon, find the card. I hadn't had very much luck tracking Gray Dixon down. In an age where it's theoretically easier than ever to find a person, Mr. Dixon was proving to be surprisingly elusive. 
The other thing I hadn't managed to track down was the object that had kick-started this whole incident, the Christmas card. How likely was it that, 30 years after its probably limited print run, a copy of it still exists? I started putting my feelers out to museums, collectors, and dealers who handled historic print material. And I hit a ton of dead ends. I also got in touch with the Alexander Turnbull Library, a division of New Zealand's National Library, and fell into yet another fascinating rabbit hole. Kia ora tato, ko rata tōku ingoa, he kaipupiri tuarua o, e mahiana o ki te puka o Alexander Turnbull. I'm chatting to Rata, a curator at the Alexander Turnbull Library, who helps oversee their ephemera collection. I was curious to learn what ephemera was, and why it might be important to preserve it. I was also keen to see what telecom-related content they might have in their vault. So ephemera, um, to me specifically, is something that is made to be disposed of or to deteriorate of its own doing. So obviously that's very broad, but um, in relation to the Alexander Turnbull Library collections, it mainly comprises minor printed items. So things like posters, flyers, menus, um, invitations, programs, but we do also have things that are a little bit more wacky, like badges, um, we've got promotional mouse pads, an unused pizza box, board games, promotional frisbees, and um, lots and lots of telephone cards. So we preserve ephemera in large part because most people don't. Um, like I said, ephemera is made to have a short life, and it's usually thrown away at the end of that life. It effectively documents what might be considered the mundane or the everyday, but when it's carefully curated and when you can look back on it, um, it really speaks to the everyday fabric of society. It speaks to events, people and relationships. Kind of on the topic of what we're talking about, um, we do have things like Christmas cards from companies that were addressed to the Turnbull Library I did actually find a Christmas card from Telecom to the Turnbull Library dated 1993. It's not the Grey Dixon designs, unfortunately. It's the design that won the Blenheim Marlborough Telecom Regional Art Award, not the Otago one. That one was by um, someone called Keith Hanson, and it seems to be like a, um, I think like a liner cut or something. Um, I searched high and low for the Grey Dixon um, card but I could not find it so either it's not catalogued somewhere or we don't have it but yeah I saw it in the folder and got really excited and then quickly realized it was not the one. The one, the one, the one. Even though I hadn't found the artist I did know that in 1993 Grey Dixon was based in Dunedin a city in the Otago region towards the bottom of New Zealand's South Island. I was based in Auckland and while the Auckland Library research resources were terrific, they didn't tend to keep historic records of regional media from Otago. As it happened, though, I had a family trip to Dunedin coming up. Perched on the rim of the Otago Peninsula, Dunedin is a striking city. It has a strong sense of history with its Māori, Scottish and Chinese heritage reflected in the architecture and town planning. It's known for its landmarks, such as the nearby Larnock Castle, a tourist hotspot, and is notable for Baldwin Street, the world's steepest road. Culturally, Dunedin has a significant art scene, bolstered by its large student population. The city is home to the University of Otago, New Zealand's oldest university. 
During the 1980s, the Dunedin Sound music movement kicked off, with bands like The Clean, The Chills and The Rear Lanes, and the iconic Kiwi record label Flying Nun going on to inspire waves of alternative music across the globe. I found myself strolling around the Octagon, a central city zone featuring a plethora of historic buildings, including theatres, cafes, and a stunning cathedral. I had stopped by the Dunedin Public Art Gallery and was now en route to the Dunedin Library. At the library, I traversed the stairs to the third floor with purpose. As I explained to the incredibly helpful staff at the research desk, I was there to look at some old newspapers. Specifically, I wanted to find a copy of the Otago Daily Times from either the 22nd or the 23rd of December, 1993. Within a couple of minutes, I was thumbing through a large bound volume of historic newsprint pages, and what I uncovered was an absolute gold mine of information. A telecom Christmas card made from a painting by a Dunedin artist has been sent out with the message, Telecom sucks as part of the design. The artist, Gray Dixon, entered the painting in the Regional Telecom Art Awards, where it was a finalist. After the winning painting by Zuna Wright was chosen, Mr Dixon was supposed to pick the painting up early last month. When he called to collect the painting, Telecom was unsure of its whereabouts, Mr Dixon said. He called back two days later and the painting was still missing. That same night, a telecom worker from Wellington telephoned Mr Dixon to ask if the painting might be used on a telecom Christmas card. Mr Dixon was quite happy about the arrangement and asked for some cards to send to friends, after they were printed in Wellington at the end of last month. Mr Dixon got his painting back, along with the cards, and sent the cards out to friends. Then a friend turned up, pointing out the telecom sucks message, which was painted carefully on the card, matching the picture's tone. Also painted in was a clear communication symbol. Mr Dixon was angry that someone had defaced his painting and contacted Telecom. The Telecom Media Relations Officer, Clive Litt, said from Wellington that after internal investigations, the company was satisfied none of our employees was involved in it. Mr Litt was not prepared to give the name of the printing firm responsible for the cards and described the incident as unpleasant. He did not want to comment further. The painting had been on display in Dunedin for two weeks following the presentation of the regional winner in September at the Otago Art Society Rooms. A member of the society, Victoria Gray, said the gallery was supervised during the day while exhibitions were on. However, it was often rented out at night. It did not look like it was possible to find out where the defacement had been perpetrated, but Mr Dixon was now suggesting the painting be given to a charity which could auction it for curiosity value. Mr Dixon was the centre of much media attention yesterday. Initially, he was annoyed about people disturbing him at work, but had eventually found the whole event amusing. We'll start unpacking the smorgasbord of new details soon, but just as intriguing as these juicy tidbits was the fact that this article, which had graced the ODT's front page that day, also featured a photo. For the first time in this entire investigation, I could lock eyes with the man behind the artwork, Mr. Gray Dixon. From the front page, he's staring out, a bemused smile cracking across his face. In his right hand, he's holding up one of the telecom Christmas cards, and in his left, the tainted artwork itself. The painting is square, and it's smaller than I'd imagined. It's maybe 20 centimetres from edge to edge. 
It's mounted on a thick white frame. If the Paul Holmes clip that I'd watched was low resolution, this black and white newspaper photo is even murkier. So let's turn our attention instead to the words that ran alongside it. For a relatively short feature article, there's a surprising amount of detail here. We're going to unpack it all over the next couple of episodes, starting with the Telecom Art Awards. The artist, Gray Dixon, entered the painting in the Regional Telecom Art Awards, where it was a finalist. After the winning painting by Zuna Wright was chosen, Mr. Dixon was supposed to pick the painting up early last month. I've referenced the Telecom Art Awards a few times already, but unless you're a Kiwi over the age of about 35, you might not know what that is. So let me take a second to explain. The Telecom Art Awards were a series of art competitions run across 18 different regions throughout New Zealand every year. The competition began in 1990, and it wound up in 2011. Throughout these 21 years, amateur and professional artists alike submit artwork that they felt reflected their region. Winners from each region would go on to be featured on the front page of their telephone directory the following year. I wanted to know more about how the art awards were run, so my co-producer Luke and I had coffee with the woman responsible for making these events happen from 1995 onwards, Kath Blanahassett. The thing about the art awards because it was a lovely sponsorship to be involved with. I didn't have any controversy come our way, um, really. We just had some you know, interesting, interesting artists, interesting winners, but there was nothing that was, you know, was negative about it. It was, it was a really, you know, I, I would say that it was actually my dream job when I first got it, because it was, was a really, it was a real privilege to be able to meet local people in New Zealand um, and around the country and um, see how they viewed their own community. My time with Telecom and Telecom Directories, fantastic company to work for, um, you know, um, and they looked after their staff. But yeah, it wasn't without, you know, it wasn't without, you know, someone always kind of um, tackled you, for example, say at one of the awards if Telecom had made a decision in a local area that, um, you know, if there was a decision made about services and they weren't happy about it, you know, you'd hear about it. Because at the time, also, telecom was a big bad meaning. We didn't have competition in the New Zealand market. So it was kind of quite a high-profile target for people getting stroppy at, you know, at, um, at telecom for various things. In my time in the awards, as far as I knew, we never... Um, used artworks for any other purpose other than the, the awards. Um, what we did do um, is we put out calendars, like all the winners would be, we'd do beautiful calendars um, and they'd be, become corporate gifts and we'd do little desktop calendars with all the different artworks. So once the work was announced and once we handed over the money, the copyright and everything associated with that work was was a kind of a given thing that and part of the terms and conditions when artists entered um, the award that should they win the copyright and and everything would would um, would be ours so you know we'd own the right to reproduce that artwork um, you know effectively if they won the competition that was part of it the work would be surrendered to us and copyright would be um, given to us and we would use the works um, as, as we as we saw fit so if Telecom did use an artwork um, from one of the regional awards, um, chances are they owned it. But all our regional art award winners were returned to, were all returned to um, 
uh, the, the winners after the after the exhibition in each in each in each area. So they were returned. So a, a finalist's artwork um, from the from the Otago Regional thing was selected as a Christmas card design. All right. Yeah, and this is this is kind of the basis of the podcast that we're looking into. Oh right, and someone actually defaced you, someone defaced the, um, the artwork. Yes. Or it possibly was before my time. I don't remember anything about about that particular controversy. I know there was something, but I I just can't, I just can't recall the details of it, because I think it was before my time. So clearly the Telecom Art Awards were a big deal. And even after 30 years, having your artwork on the front of a phone book sounds like a pretty sweet accomplishment. But what about the finalists? What happens to the artworks that make the finals, but don't make it onto the phone book? Well, they go on display. More on that after the break. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The painting had been on display in Dunedin for two weeks following the presentation of the regional winner in September at the Otago Art Society Rooms. And so it seems that the Otago finals happened in Dunedin a few months before Christmas that year. Depending on how late in September this happened, Dixon's painting could have still been on display in early to mid-October. A member of the society, Victoria Gray, said the gallery was supervised during the day while exhibitions were on. However, it was often rented out at night. How robust was the security at the Otago Art Society gallery space in 1993? Hypothetically, could a person with a vendetta against a telecommunications company tamper with an artwork that was on display? It would be a pretty brazen thing to do. But if they were in the building during the evening, when the gallery was unsupervised? I needed to talk to the Otago Art Society. Perhaps there was someone there at the time who could shed some light on this matter for me. Unfortunately, despite our efforts to contact anyone, we weren't able to chat to them. But our friends at the University of Otago's Hocken Library, they really came through for us here. 
They supplied a bunch of material from their extensive archives that illuminated this whole situation. According to their website, the Art Society set up shop in the historic Dunedin Railway Station building in February 2007. Their previous site was another historic building, the Dunedin North Post Office building, which they moved into in 1972 and stayed in for the next 33 years. This would have been the site that Gray Dixon's painting would have been on display at in 1993. In 2013, the post office building was acquired by the Tuhura Otago Museum. The space was remodeled and renamed the HD Skinner Annex. The site is still used as a gallery and an exhibition space today. And if you're so inclined, you can do a virtual tour of the museum on their website. Since we couldn't speak to the Otago Art Society directly, we tried to find someone who knew the space and, if possible, how Telecom might have used it. We struck gold when we found Professor Linda Tyler, who these days is based at the University of Auckland. During the early 90s, Linda was living and working in Dunedin, and, excitingly, she was actually invited to judge the Telecom Art Awards at the Otago Art Society Gallery in 1994, the year after our Christmas card incident. So I started really as um, an art historian with teaching art history at Victoria University for a couple of years in the 80s. I was a junior lecturer, then assistant lecturer. But during my years at, a couple of years teaching in art history, I taught with Tony Billette and I taught the Renaissance and always sitting down the front of the classes were a group of women that Tony used to just let audit the class because they were interested and one of them was Gillian Dean and Gillian at that time um, was nursing her daughter Kristen who um, eventually died. She had Rett's syndrome and um, Gillian of course is the wife of Rod Dean who set up the Telecom Art Award and I rather suspect that me being chosen to be the judge had dumped something to do with the fact that Gillian Dean knew me and um, Roderick and she had a private art collection were very interested in art Mm -hmm. and it was during his time that Telecom formed an art collection and then um, more recently after Telecom stopped doing the um, white pages cover competition then it became uh, the Telecom IHC awards and that had a lot to do with their daughter Kristen and they, uh, he was the chair of the board of IHC New Zealand, and both of them, um, Gillian and Roderick, worked tirelessly. That was a, cha- a charity that they have done a lot of work for. I asked Linda what she recalled about the 1994 awards presentation and the exhibition that followed it. I was also curious to know what she remembered about the layout of the gallery itself. So they went on display for, I think it might have been six weeks, and I had to make the speech that night on um, the Thursday night, which was in September. That was just the people, that was private view, so it was people invited to that that had entered, and then subsequently it was on show, um, would have been from that period in um, September, first week of September, probably until mid-late October. Mm. Um, And then, so the winner always got, the regional winners always went into the draw for 
the National Art Award and sometimes, there were, so there were 18 regions, but sometimes they would bump it up, make it 20 finalists for the National Art Award and that toured that show, so lots of people got to see it. Mm. And um, But they quite often used to pick works from the regional awards for Christmas cards, which is what happened with Grey Dixon. Well, it's no longer the Otago Art Society rooms anymore, that particular building needed earthquake strengthening. But the space that we were in, the Otago Art Society space, in the former post office, um, was uh, a late Victorian, early Edwardian um, government building, probably designed by John Campbell, who was the government architect at that time. Um, There was kind of like a little reception area, and then you went through into reasonably small kind of um, more domestic scaled room. It was stone, the building, and it was um, the walls had been plastered so that you could um, hang works of art. So um, it was reasonably professionally run in that they, you know, mended the walls and painted them white and they and everything looked like a professionally run space. But it was largely, the Otago Art Society was largely um, volunteers that run, ran the gallery. So I don't think they would have had a lot of invigilation of the space. You know, like there wouldn't have been necessarily a gallery attendant in the room. There would have been somebody at reception as you walked in and then you would pick up a little leaflet that gave you the names of everybody and I think um, I think also the prices I think they might have been for sale if you wanted to have like um, a particular event gown of the year or whatever particularly in those the early 90s the art society got used for lots of things like um, oh you know prize givings and um, yeah um, particular events I don't think people rented it for parties or for private you know but for anything where you wanted to have a sort of front-facing civic kind of space it was useful for that Mm. yeah the description Linda gave us was illuminating but we wanted to see it for ourselves in some way obviously we couldn't go back in time but we did the next best thing we reached out to the Otago Museum with a little bit of a weird request namely do you have any historic blueprints of your building? And follow-up question, can we see them? Almost as strangely, they replied. Um, did you... Oh shit, did you print those out? Yeah. Oh my god, they're huge. Production value, man. Oh, right. All right, this is, oh man. I feel like an architect. Um, okay. So, Okay, uh, talk me through this. Where, where's the entrance on here? Uh, so we've got the ground floor is here, this is this side. Yeah, so the HD Skinner Annex entrance there, that's... Um, that's the gallery space. Yeah, that's the yeah, Otago Art Society space there. All this red stuff over here, anything red on this map is stuff that was there previously prior to the redevelopment. So red's old, Red is white old. is surviving. Yeah, white is surviving, and anything grey around like around the edges, I think, is where they've either modified things or um, or they've, like, yeah, refurbished. So you enter the front door, you turn right, and you're in the gallery space. Yeah. 
and it looks like there is a, a wall dividing the gallery space from the front entrance. Uh, so it's not like it's openly visible from public thoroughfares. So visibility on that exhibition space, where our painting would have been, is so, pretty limited. There's a lot of corners. Where are the offices? Where would anyone who was looking after the building be? Well, I assume upstairs, because that's where sort of the bulk of the rooms are, yeah. or, or were. You know, it looks like it's been opened up a lot here, but like it's, you know, there's yeah. toilets up there. It looks like office space up there. Yeah, they've opened up a ton of space upstairs, so we can probably assume anyone looking after the building, especially after hours, is probably going to be tucked away upstairs, which is like the opposite corner of the building. So, hypothetically, yeah. you or I are going to do this. It's got to be premeditated because you've got to have paint and stuff with you. There are multiple colours in the vandalism. Yeah. You are either going to be in that big public space, mm -hmm. or you're going to be coming through the main entrance. Yeah. Either way, you're going to slip into that exhibition space. And I would say, especially if it was on one of the interior walls, you were going to have ample time to do a fairly detailed job. Because it is upside down. Yeah, that's true. So you're talking about a reasonable amount of time. But I, I would say, yeah, I, I would have ample time to be in there, potentially not missed, or potentially just wandering yeah. off the street mm. to get that done. We've covered a lot of ground, so let's do a quick recap. We now know that Gray Dixon's painting was on display for a couple of weeks immediately after the Otago region's winning artwork was announced. But what happened to the painting next? Well, it turns out that the answer to that question is not quite as clear. Let's go back to the ODT article. After the winning painting by Zuna Wright was chosen, Mr. Dixon was supposed to pick the painting up early last month. Remember, this article was written in 1993. Unless its author, Lee Harris, was mistaken, the early last month here would mean early November 1993. When he called to collect the painting, Telecom was unsure of its whereabouts, Mr. Dixon said. He called back two days later and the painting was still missing. That same night, a telecom worker from Wellington telephoned Mr. Dixon to ask if the painting might be used on a telecom Christmas card. Again, the end of last month here seems to confirm that all of this went down in November 1993. By this account, Dixon was meant to pick the painting up at the start of November, telecom asked to use the painting for the card later in November, and the cards have been printed before the end of November. This is all really useful in establishing a timeline. But there's one thing I can't quite shake. If the Art Awards regional final was sometime in September, and the painting was only on display for a couple of weeks following that, then where was it between this time and November? It's possible that there was a gap between the Art Awards final and the artworks going on display, but surely it would have made more sense to run the exhibition when the artworks were already hung, right? Well, thankfully we can narrow this down a little, thanks to some of the Otago Art Society documents held in the Hocken Library archives. The Art Society's 1993-1994 annual reports confirms that there were three exhibitions held at the Art Society gallery space in October 93. The annual spring exhibition, works by guest artist Juliet Faithful of Riverton, and the Telecom Art Awards. A copy of the exhibition sales book also provided by the Hocken Library confirms that the spring exhibition, 
That took place between October the 2nd and October the 17th. Frustratingly, there were no dates listed anywhere for the other exhibitions. But we do know from the ODT article that the Art Awards finalists were on display for two weeks. There's a good chance that this could be immediately after the spring exhibition, which would take it from Monday the 18th of October up until Sunday the 31st of October. If that was the case, it would line up about the paintings being available to pick up in early November. And what about the fact that Telecom couldn't clarify the painting's whereabouts when Dixon contacted them to pick it up? According to this article, there were at least two days where nobody at Telecom seemed to know where the painting even was. This Otago Daily Times article that I uncovered was proving to be the most comprehensive account of the story so far. There were a ton of clues, new leads, and as a detective might say, avenues of inquiry. But with all of that came a lot more mystery, a lot more chin-stroking. And we haven't even scratched the surface on some of these yet. Who were these Wellington-based printers that Telecom didn't want to name? What happened with Telecom's internal investigation into the matter? All of that will be covered in our next episode. Plus, we'll chat to another Art Awards finalist who had their artwork turned into a Telecom Christmas card that year. And we uncover the story of how Dixon's painting wasn't even the first Telecom product to be messed with. Join us next week. On the next episode of Prank of the Year... When, I, when they asked me to put the artwork on the card, I was really pleased. And the next best thing to do would be to find someone who was well-versed in how print operations worked back in the 90s. They would have said it was in the image, and they would have scanned the image. I can most things have been printed. Prank of the Year is produced by Luke Watkinson and me, Craig Major. Thanks in this episode go to Lee Harris, Ellis and the team at Dunedin Libraries, Mary at the Department of Internal Affairs Media Team, Rata and the team at Alexander Turnbull Library, Kath Blannerhassett, Professor Linda Tyler, Charlie at Tuhuda Otago Museum, Catherine, Nick, Kate, Amy and the team from Hopin Library at the University of Otago. Dunedin Sound was written and recorded by Carlisle Laurent. Maddie Mitchell was the voice of the ODT article. Our opening theme song is Let Go by Kong Fui. Closing music is Cliché by Deluxe Boy. If you're enjoying the show, please share it with others and consider leaving a review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help, and we appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Do you know anything about the DeFace Telecom Christmas card? We'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us directly and anonymously by email at telecomsucks1993, or one word, at gmail.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.